You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. We've been reading from Matthew chapter 27. To focus our thoughts for a moment or two this evening, I want you to look at verse 35 and just really the first four words. For the verse begins, And they crucified him. And the thought that I want to leave with you for a few minutes this evening is who is the they in the verse? Who is the they? Remember that the hill of Calvary was not an isolated and lonely place when Jesus was crucified. I had been looking on the internet for some images, some photographs, some pictures rather, some graphics for to illustrate a service like this. And I found lots of them, lots of them that were usable. Some of them, most of them free and freely available, open source. But I also found a lot of them had three crosses. You know, they had a central cross and the two crosses at either side. Of course, the central cross was the big one, and then there was two smaller crosses. But one of the things that all of those had in common was that the hill of Calvary that was depicted was absolutely empty, except for the three crosses. Now that's not what happened. There were many people there as Jesus died that day on that hill. And in fact, the passage that we have read together in Matthew chapter 27 tells us that there were many people there. And I want just for a wee moment or two to look at some of them and to try and find out who it really was that crucified Jesus. One of the first things that we notice is that there was a group of Roman soldiers that day at the cross. A group of Roman soldiers. I suppose if you asked one of them why he was there that day, he might just say something like, well, I'm just doing my job. I'm only here because I've been commanded to be here. Mind you, that was the excuse of many of the guards in the German concentration camps, the Nazi concentration camps like Bergen-Belsen and Auschwitz, when they were confronted with their crimes, they said, I was only doing my job. I was only obeying orders. Yet those orders led them to some dreadful events, some dreadful crimes. And here's these Roman soldiers there at the cross, making sure that the execution went ahead as ordered by the Roman authorities. They were there to do their duty. Of course, they were also there to get first choice of those cast-off clothes, weren't they? We're told in the Bible that they crucified him and they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Their clothes wouldn't be needed by the condemned prisoners 
So the Roman soldiers got to keep them. So there were Roman soldiers there. There they were, sitting at the cross, casting lots, playing with dice over the, over the clothes of a condemned man. And then if you look at verse 38, you'll see that there were thieves there. Two of them. It tells us here, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah had said in Isaiah 53 and verse 12 that he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He did. And those thieves began by mocking Jesus. The thieves also, it says, verse 44 in your Bible, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. They were mocking him at the beginning. But then isn't there a story? Isn't there a wonderful end to this? Because one of those thieves later trusted Jesus. A wonderful story of conversion. And Luke records it for us in Luke chapter 23, where the thief said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What has a dying thief got to offer? A man hanging on a cross. What can he do to earn his salvation? The answer, of course, is nothing. No baptism. No communion. No confirmation, no missionary calling, no volunteering in the church, no tithes or offerings, no Sunday go to church clothes. The thief on the cross couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer and worst of all he's a thief. And Jesus didn't take away his pain. He didn't heal his body. He didn't smite his executioners. Yet that day a thief walked into paradise, the CMR as Jesus, simply by believing in him. He had nothing else to offer. Only his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. He wasn't even able to fold his hands pray. He had nothing to offer and yet he was saved. And that really is the good news of the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's see who else was there. Look at verse 39. And you'll see that there were passers-by. Verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross, passers-by. I imagine they would have been People who were unconcerned, uncommitted types. 
They're just simply walking past and looking up and having a bit of a laugh at the expense of a condemned prisoner, just joining in with the jeery and the mocking people going along with the crowd. And then in verse 41, we see that the Jewish leaders were there, the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders, said he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. All the top religious leaders, they were all there, their fancy religion, no more than a mockery. And there they were, these great religious men, standing among the scoffers, mocking the Son of God. Mind you, just like many religious people do today. And then in verse 55, we find that there were women there. It says, and many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children, women weeping and mourning over the loss of their dearest friend ever. A mother there mourning the violent and unjust death of her son. So you see, those images that I was looking at on the internet, with the three crosses and an empty hill, are far from the case. All these people gathered round the cross were ordinary people. People like you and me, people doing their job, people just walking along the road and joining in, people full of hatred, people who couldn't care less. But what about you and me? Because the point is that when we think of those who crucified the Saviour, It wasn't just the people who were on the hill that day who did that violent act. You were there, and I was there. It was your sins and my sins that caused the Saviour to die. It was my sins and your sins who nailed God's precious Son to the cross. Way back in the 70s, when we were singing round various venues with the gospel group, we used to sing a song. Or rather, I didn't sing it, I can assure you. Pauline sang it. I just give some of the backing, maybe not very well. But the song went like this. I was not on the hillside when he gave his life that day. I did not nail his precious hands or Take his robe away. I could not do a single thing to hurt God's only son. But every time I sin on earth, I know that I'm the one. I'm the one who shouted crucify. 
I'm the one who made that cross so high. I'm the one who stood and watched him die. What have I done? I'm the one. So who's the they in our text? When it says, and they crucified him. It wasn't just the people who were there that day. It was every sinner. For on the cross that day, Jesus died in your place and in mine. He took my sins and he took yours. He who was truly righteous when we are sinful. He who was in perfect communion with his heavenly Father. While we are by nature the children of our father the devil. Jesus who was perfect and good and sinless and we who are imperfect in every way in body, mind and soul we who are under the condemnation of God he was willing to give his life for us so that we could have new life could be born again he was the one who loved us when we were his enemies. The one who forgives those who caused his death. The one who forgave the thief who had nothing to offer. The one who even now still receives sinners who come to him in humble, repentant faith. For he is promised that he will never, ever turn them away. What did the hymn writer say? Oh, dearly, dearly has he loved, and we must love him too, and trust in Christ's redeeming blood, and learn to follow you. It was for us that Jesus died when we had nothing to offer him. And we, in response to his dying love, must simply believe in him, trust him, and trust him to teach us to walk in his paths. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.